Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast, although it's not a regular episode because normally we watch a movie and we talk about it for, you know, a silly amount of time. This week is part two of our top 50 sci-fi movies of all time. Tara's made her list, I've made my list, we've already done numbers 50 through 26. You find that in the last episode, but this, of course, is going to be numbers 25 through number one, and probably a few honorable mentions, uh, and that'll pretty much uh, be it. So, welcome. Hello. I think we said in the last one we were hoping to record both halves in the one night, and if you're watching the video version, it's very clear that that did not happen. <laughs> Unless we just decided to go and get a wardrobe change for shenanigans, which we would not have done. <laughs> Um, whenever I record like three episodes of Screams in one day, I, I don't change my clothes between each recording. It's like, no, no, I don't care. I don't care if I, you notice. I tried to keep things brief whenever I talk about the film. Like, I barely say anything about the plot. I mostly just say I really like it. But then you have to go on and on and on and on about each movie. And it what? makes this... What? <laughs> what? What's the point of a, doing a countdown if you just gonna say, oh, I really like the movie. Next. It's the big the big thing is the the reveal. Discussion. It's a discussion podcast. That's what the that's what the reviews are for. <laughs> discussion podcast. This should take us ten minutes. <laughs> never. <laughs> Absolutely never. Go look at the screams ones, go look at the ones I've done with Connor. None of them are like that. This is right. this is the format. So here we are. We're buckled in for the top 25 of the top 50 of our mm-hmm. favourite sci-fi movies of all time. And Tara's up first with her number 25. Next time you go first. Nah. I know. You want to leave yours for last. It means my number one's last. It makes me feel more important. Yeah, yeah but I want to be more important. It's my show. <laughs> If it were my show, it would be a 10-minute video <laughs> for all 50. <laughs> anyway. Number 25. Blade Runner 2049. I got the year right this time. Uh, this movie is a sequel to a Ridley Scott film that I sort of don't like very much. But it just goes to show how good that world was that they created. Because I think that the Denis Villeneuve version is... a him playing in the sandbox of this universe came out a lot better. It's atmospheric. It's beautiful. Um, we follow a different character, but it intertwines with characters from the first film. Uh, it's really, really great. I can't wait to do it on the show. Enhance. That's not in this one. Enhance. And it was missing. I, I felt it. When I saw it in theaters, I felt that the, the enhance scene really was lacking. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no. Is it really Blade Runner without the, uh, the oh, 10 no, minute scene? no, I'm going to have to give it a better rating. <laughs> <laughs> is it really Blade Runner without a 10 minute scene if I'm zooming in into a, into a video? Um, well, that is there. <laughs> yeah. Te- yeah, technically it is, yes. Um, I-, I-, I liked it. I was conflicted with some elements of it. Um, I would cut everything with Jared Leto out of the film and you would lose nothing of value. Uh, and because of that, you would cut out about maybe 25 minutes and it would still function. Maybe. Just, just as well. Um <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it again to see if, you know, with with a second viewing, with you know, time to let it settle and sort of let my 
distaste for certain parts <laughs> in connections to the first film uh, to linger. Because the, the stuff that's there that I do like is very good. And it looks and mm. sounds amazing. So uh, It will not be appearing on my list, but uh, I'm not surprised that Tara is here to represent it. Pretty sure all the other ones coming up you have on your list somewhere. <laughs> yes. Um, then people just be, have to be upset that the, the original Blade Runner is nowhere to be found on either <laughs> list. <No. laughs> Unless Tara's going to really surprise me uh, later on. but It would be more likely on your list since you're the one who goes back and forth on whether or not it's a masterpiece. <laughs> I've went I've went back and forth a few times. I've been pretty I've pretty much stuck in the the back for the yeah. last couple of viewings, so I think I'm settled, but Yes. <laughs> I, I think I think it looks and sounds amazing. The technical qualities of Blade Runner are absolutely stunning. Yeah. They're stunning and they're so to my taste that it, sometimes I convince myself I like the story. Hmm. But I can't Prometheus lie to will forever. also not be on my list. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was a even though I, I, everything you just said about Blade Runner, I could apply to Prometheus. Well, Pl Prometheus, despite the fact that it's also Ridley Scott, wasn't the same thing in the sense that it was like trying to convince myself I like this new Alien movie because there's not been a good Alien movie since before I was born, and I would really like to like an Alien movie that I saw in theaters. <laughs> and then when I finally watched it, you know, years years later, I went, "No, this is actually really shit." <laughs> I want Where's your like... 25? Don't rush me. Don't rush me. And number 25 is her. Aww. The movie that was criminally left off of the top 25 of the 2010 sci-fi list we did last year because both of us forgot that it existed. <laughs> and Google apparently doesn't call it a sci-fi movie. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Google. I've yeah, upset you. Yeah, it's Google. Shut up. <laughs> This is our podcast, damn you. Google, uh, try getting to everything. As you can buy YouTube, it's going to buy Mail Plus TV next. Well, I've got another news for you. Have you gotten any emails? <laughs> no offers as of yet. Um, I'm not going to lie. If the number's high enough, I mean, I'd just do it. But, <laughs> but I don't suspect they're in the market. So, Heart is set in the near future. It is the simple story of a man who falls in love with his operating system. In fact, I think you talked about this in the last half, did you not? Yes. I did. Um, it was my number 34. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, anyone who's ever felt lonely, which really should be everyone on the planet, I, I, it's hard to imagine anyone not feeling lonely at some point in their life. Um, but especially if, you, if you've ever felt lonely in a romantic sense, I think this film hits some chords in a way that other movies that tackle loneliness don't quite hit in the same way. It, it kind of goes to this sort of intimate place this intimate place that usually you only are with yourself and turns it into this romance with an operating system which on surface sounds really sad and there's a there's a lot of sad things about it but, but bizarrely throughout the film you start to find yourself oh, it's kind of sweet or it's not you know it's not that bad or there's yeah. so on and so on it, it's it, it's a tour de force of a performance and it's nice to see walking phoenix playing a role that's not supposed to be intense that is mm -hmm. a bit more sympathetic and is a bit more gentle and you know he's not you know dancing down stairways and joker makeup uh <laughs> such things um not to hold that against him he's actually been very good in a lot of films i uh, mean i don't think there's a bad performance from him in any movie that i've seen anyway oh that's fair 
Uh, I wouldn't have even suggested there was, more just that he's been in some less appealing movies. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, neither of us really like Joker that much. No. That's about it. (laughs) But, no. But, no, he's great. Direction's great. Uh, It has such a unique tone and the way it tackles its subject just has this this gentle touch that feels unique in every sense of the the way it just it just does so um sometimes you can watch a movie and you say oh it's kind of like this movie but with these few things tweaked or it's kind of like this movie meets that movie when i saw her i was like well i I can't really compare this to anything else there's nothing i can say this is like that meets that it's not it's its own thing i guess you can kind of compare blade runner 2049 to her Yeah, but that There's a later. scene that's almost identical. <laughs> yes, because that hack, Denis Villeneuve, ripped off how, her. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You. All right, before everyone gets me in the comments, I'm joking. <laughs> the scenes are coincidentally similar, but I think only because the themes in the movies are a bit similar. Mm-hmm. What is life? How do you define love? That kind of thing. Yes, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Those are two different songs that I'm mixing up, but that's okay. Um, it's no, that's the right song. I, for is. some reason, for some reason in my head, I thought I did like the foreigner. I want to know what love is, and then shifted. So my twenty-four. Don't is... rush me, <laughs> Tara. What is your twenty-four? My twenty-four is one that we did recently on the Ace. It is the Truman Show. Mm. It a movie that not only has aged well um or i mean not only has held up but has aged super well with the age of youtube and people volunteering to put their life on the internet and um a very very funny movie very satirical um very relevant and uh i super enjoyed watching it again what's that about it's about a man who is born on camera and has his whole life scripted for him so that the world can watch at his own expense. He doesn't know it. Yeah, he lives in a dome and it's basically mm-hmm. a reality TV show where they've, they've bought this guy's life before he was born and they're treating it like a, like a soap opera that's running 24 hours a day and they yep. shove in product placements and all sorts. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know. The story, the story of the film is him learning that he's in a fake world and his life is a lie. Um, oh, that's a beer. <laughs> it's cranberry ginger ale. <laughs> I'm not drinking uh, this time. Yes. That's the first half of the list. Yes. Um now Truman Show is wonderful. Uh Truman Show is a film that I didn't like when I first saw it because I was like ten and I wanted a Jim Carrey comedy. And then <laughs> I saw it like maybe five years later when I'd grown up a little bit and went, Wait, this movie's actually kinda really good. And then I saw it again, I saw it again, and every time I've seen it I've liked it more than the last time. Because Yeah. It, Go ahead. It's just, it's just a really strong science fiction con- concept with, you know, uh, the director Peter Weir, you know, doesn't do typically do science fiction. He typically does really good dramas. He does really good... Uh, Master and Commander is definitely top five all-time films for me. Love well, that director. That's very high praise. Yeah. Very high praise. But, um, yeah, Truman Show's wonderful. I, I can't, can't fault it. Very good. My number 24 is a little film... By the name of Coherence, which Tara has brought up, where it's up. and it's not—it's not surprising we're getting to more duplicates now that we're getting closer to the uh, the apex, right? You know where. Yeah, there's gonna be a couple of these that aren't on your list, but for the most part. Yeah. 
you've already said them or you're going to say yes so now coherence I mean, we try to avoid talking about it as much as possible when you brought it up, just because it's not a mo- it's a movie you don't want to spoil. It's a movie you want to go in cold and just unravel the mystery as it unfolds. Uh, I'll just reiterate that I love that it is just a group of characters in a house at a dinner party, and it's about the idea, it's about the thought process of going through what's happening and unraveling it, and that is such a fun watch. It's one of those things where sometimes when I get really into like a little indie movie like this or a little art house movie. It doesn't always translate to everyone else. Like sometimes, I'll take Matt as an example, not to pick on Matt, but you know, Matt's, Matt's a guy where when I get into this really artsy little film, a lot of the time I'll be like, but it's not a Matt movie. I, I can't recommend this, you know, this weird thing to Matt. But this was something I'm like, no, no, this still works for a mainstream audience. I think this actually draws you in and would work for just about anyone who who's willing to pay attention to it. And when I made Matt watch it, he, he was hooked. He said his wife you know was it even pay attention at first and ended up hooked and they were sitting trying to piece things together the string out and the board and they were mm-hmm. trying to make it all work uh, and it's a very satisfying viewing experience and i have watched it three times and there are elements that are enhanced by the repeat viewings uh this is wonderful low budget science fiction filmmaking and it also just happens to star nicholas branding from the hit television show buffer the vampire slayer in a role where it's not actually that irrelevant that he starred on Buffy. So you're right. Yeah, it, it's sort of comes up in a way. There's a there's a meta point that is made in the in the plot that only works because in the real world he was on Buffy, and that's kind it of adds funny. another layer of what am I really watching? Yeah, there's layers. <laughs> there's all sorts of layers, like cake. Great, great movie. Cake is great. <laughs> you had coherence right after her. That's where I put mine also. Just different <gasps> spots. <laughs> we think alike. Just not mm. exactly the same time. Oh, what's your number 23? Uh, number 23 is my first Star Trek movie. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. This is a movie about uh, revenge. <laughs> it is uh why a cautionary tale of why you shouldn't leave a superhuman on a planet alone where his <laughs> he watches his wife die and come <laughs> comes back to uh yeah that decision comes back to haunt you yes. if you're captain kirk on the enterprise um basically khan has the genesis weapon and he's going to use it against us so i want i like I think the interesting thing about Wrath of Khan is that it's a sequel to an episode of Star Trek. It's not yeah, just it's like... Yeah, it's not really a sequel to the movie. It's a sequel yeah. to an episode. It's just really funny that they looked at the show and... Because obviously Star Trek, the original series, is mostly standalone episodes. It wasn't like a big serialized show. They just they sort of looked at the episodes and went, this one, we can make a sequel to and make it a big movie and make it a big... We can get Ricardo Montalban. That's, I mean, that's probably the key thing is that if we can get him back, right. then all of a sudden we've got a movie on our hands. Right. So... Yeah, uh, this is and this is him uh, post being surrogate father to Caesar and conquest the planet of the apes, which we just did yes. last week or two weeks ago now. Time we're hearing this, but that was a fun movie. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't have it on mine. It was in consideration. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, I had two Trek movies, but there was definitely a few that were on the brink, just on the brink. So, my I number. Know. I didn't want to be too selfish, but all, 
all like 13 of them on my list. Although it would have been an easy list then. If you put all 13, there'd definitely be at least two or three of them where I'd be like, Hmm? Really? You know I love five. Yeah, but like, nine? In, <laughs> in, uh, in the Darkness? Like, come on, these are not top 50 caliber films. I like, I like Insurrection. I like Nemesis too. Yes, but you have to admit, I mean, compared to these other movies that you've put in your list here, that they're not... They're not I'm a up- fan. I mean, <laughs> I know Serenity's already way too high, because you haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I, I would argue that that's actually as good as where I'm placing it, whereas you have to admit, come on. Come on. You know you're delusional with some of these, and that's okay. What's your 23? <laughs> Don't rush me, woman. <laughs> Can I have a conversation? But movies. My number 23. Uh, this is one you actually may be mad at me for, for being too low. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just realizing this, that you may not be upset with me for this, but my number 23 is Predator. I mean, I'm glad <laughs> it's here. <laughs> there was a but moment yeah, there. Yeah, there was, a, there was a small look I got there just, just up before she composed herself. So I, I don't want to come off as a complete monster. I'm just going <laughs> to... <laughs> reserve. I'm going to reserve it a little bit. Uh, now, Predator is wonderful. Predator is, uh, it, it is the absolute best that it could possibly be. There is nothing you can make Predator better. It is maxing out the concept of a alien in the jungle facing the toughest, baddest group of badasses in the 1980s led by Arnold Schwarzenegger, because of course it is. Uh, the, the way I always talk about Predator when I bring it up and talk about sort of the, how it works is that it's basically a slasher movie. It's, it's essentially a horror movie, but instead of a bunch of t- dumb teenagers, you get a team of like, the toughest, the badass, most capable people yeah. on the earth. Yeah. And you show that that's how badass the monster is, is that it can take out all these, and that the only human who might stand a chance by the end of the movie is Arnold. Like, he's the only <laughs> one who might be able to take pull this off. He, it, it's that simple, and it's, it's full of iconic moments, one-liners, Predator design by Stan Winston's iconic, uh, and I think it's one of these examples well, because there's so many low-budget movies, whether it be sci-fi, horror, whatever, that people go and shoot a film in the woods or the jungle because it's cheap, because they can just go and shoot there without getting permits. And here's the thing, they all look like shit, they're all really boring, they don't know how to actually sequence anything. This is the movie that that convinces everyone, oh, we can just go make a movie in the jungle because Predator did it and it's perfect. No, Predator is super well directed. John oh, McTiernan yeah. knows what he's doing. Everything is so well paced. It's 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 tense. It's, it's it's hard. I've heard it's really difficult to shoot in like a forest area or a um, a jungle because you know you have the the light shining through leaves, so you have areas that are very bright and areas that are very dark in the same scene all the time, and that's a difficult thing to make look good on camera but this movie always looks good yeah and there's like weird there's tracking shots through like the jungle like that's gonna be hard to do too but here's the the thing though your low budget and no 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 i say low budget no budget films they're not concerned with it looking good i mean (laughs) they pretend they are but they don't know what they're doing Uh, i mean i wish i made predator also i mean sure don't we all uh but it it's basically as what it is as the film that it is as the ultimate b movie mm-hmm. it is perfect and cannot be improved uh and it is directed with a, 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 a sly touch and you know john mctiernan doesn't 
have nothing but gems in his catalogue. Foxy, be quiet. Uh, but <laughs> he does have this in Die Hard, and if that's his legacy, then that is that is wonderful. Foxy. Foxy, I'm getting mad now. Well, before I was rudely interrupted, I was singing the praises of Predator. And, uh, I was basically done, admittedly. But it's, it's still, because uh, I know Tara's going to bring it up later. So. You'll have your chance to yeah. talk about it again. <laughs> yes. Uh, what is your number 22? 22 is Galaxy Quest. Mm. One of the best Star Trek movies that was not made by Star Trek. <laughs> <clears throat> It is. Do you a... think Star Trek makes Star Trek? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like in Galaxy Quest, Star Trek is real. <laughs> this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this movie is about me. It's about fandom. It's about celebration of fandom. It's about, uh, well, it's actually about a group of aliens that watches a bunch of Star Trek shows and thinks that it's real and goes to recruit them when they're all just a bunch of actors <laughs> pretending and alan and, uh, rickman is delightful alan rickman is delightful as dr lazarus um there's actually a pretty good documentary that came out too recently about the making of the film um what's it called never give up never surrender it's called never surrender i think and it was uh it was really informative really good and it was about um it learned a lot of things like apparently um, Alan Rickman and Tim Allen did not get along, just like in the movie. That contention <laughs> is real. So love that. Um, yeah, fun movie. I know we already talked about it before and well, I think it's it holds up. It's hilarious. It's funny every time I watch it and it's great. Well, I suffered through Christmas with the cranks yesterday. So you know what? I'm on uh, Alan Rickman's side. I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> It's a really bad Christmas movie from 2004 starring... I watched it because Jamie Lee Curtis was in it. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll show Jamie Lee Curtis some, some, some love and support. And... She's a screen queen. But unfortunately, the, the movie script... Dan Aykroyd was in it. There was a lot of people in it. You recognize... A lot of people in uh, Galaxy Quest. That's true. But Galaxy Quest has a good script and <laughs> is really smart and witty and funny and has a lot to say about something. Yeah, and it draws on a lot of like real events. I know that um, there's a there's like a throw a throwaway line from the character Gwen where she's being interviewed about her role in the show and she says like, it was like a four page interview of my boobs and how they fit in my suit, which was uh, a something taken from Jerry Ryan when she played Seven of Nine, like apparently. Because they just played up her body when they were advertising mm. she was joining the show. So she actually had that experience, which is why they included it in Galaxy Quest. As a Star Trek fan, like, you have to love this film. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's more skewed towards the original series, but there's definitely little things that are clearly mm-hmm. inspired by the later shows as well that are sprinkled in there. Yeah. Um, because as much as, as much as, you know, as much as, uh, Rickman's definitely the the Leonard Nimoy character. There's there's definitely some little things here or there you can sort of recognize from other actors or characters from later. I mean, he's also kind of the um, Patrick Stewart, you know, the big Shakespearean yeah. guy, English guy who brings prestige to the show, but you know, yeah, he's, he's, a yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a bit of a combination, yeah. Right. Um, but there you go. So yeah, no, Galaxy Quest is wonderful. Uh, wonderful. A fine pick. 
Uh, my number 22 is one that you have said already, and that is Under the Skin. Scarlett Johansson, an alien. Roaming <laughs> Kubrickian, of course, yes. Uh, roaming the Scottish countryside, picking up men, and mm-hmm. men being arrogantly assuming they're safe. And so that kind of, you know, plays with gender roles a little bit. Uh, but I, I, we said we said things before. We talked about the 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 way it plays with those stuff, I, I, and the, the idea it's a film about humanity and the dark side of humanity. I could add to that just how stunningly beautiful it is and how like immaculately paced the whole thing is from a technical standpoint. It's a very cold film that makes you mm-hmm. feel the the beats and feel the weight of everything that's happening. Um, yeah, it's delightful. Cold is a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. It's cold. It's got a cold color palette. It's always it always looks cold. <laughs> it does, and it's cold in feeling. Yep, yep, uh, and yeah, just when you think it might have a little bit of heart or some some positive warmth to it, it just strips it away, and mm-hmm. you feel cold no, again. You can't have that. But you feel cold again. Um, so. It's funny because you know the movie's about an alien who's doing bad things to humans, but by the end of the movie, you actually kind of go, "Oh, we're so screwed. Humans are the worst." <laughs> like, it's, it's quite impressive that it makes you do that. Yeah. So, yeah, you're uh, right. No, I, I went to see this without really knowing much about it outside of had a really kind of cool hypnotic trailer, and left the theater being rather stunned and very amused that the theater that was packed because clearly they'd all heard it was set in Scotland, and that's why they were all there. Uh, clearly we're not expecting an ultra art house film and we're probably livid that they had to sit through something so weird which has <laughs> made it even more enjoyable to me because I bathe in the misery of those around me yes in your ivory tower <laughs> I don't have an ivory tower stop this nonsense I just I just got this movie on a whim I sort of purchased it blindly from when I worked at a movie store I thought no oh, I've never heard of this Scarlett Johansson starred, um, starring role science fiction section. I'll just, I'll just get it. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, and there's even those references in it because at one point she's listening to the radio, on in one of the cars, and it's talking about the referendum happening next year, which happened in 2014. So, mm-hmm. uh, so there's some contextual stuff in there that uh, ties it to the the time and place. I think you could have been picked up in a van, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, it wasn't going to end well, though, was it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's going to end well. Um, But yeah, so that's my number 22. What is your 21? Starship Troopers, baby. (laughs) It is uh, Paul Verhoeven's maybe magnum opus. Uh, It's undecided, but it is about... um, a fascist world from the perspective of the fascist, which I think is uh, very unique. I, when I first saw this movie, well, it's also about aliens that are big bugs um, at war with Earth. Um, <clears throat> and we follow Rico and his gang to <laughs> on his journey to become a citizen. His gang. He's in, just, just to clarify, he's in the military. He's, he's, you know, yeah. he's not, it's not just having these little ragtag group. Well, they, have, they all have matching tattoos. They're a gang. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, that's, that's his, but yeah, Johnny that's Rico is our hero and we, we're following him. This movie is full of satire. 
um, amazing special effects that I think hold up really well for, especially for the time it came out where effects were kind of hit or miss. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's, uh, I know it's my father's least favorite movie because when he watched it, he did not understand that it was a satire and just thinks it's a dumb movie, but I don't know how you don't get it. <laughs> Could not be more obvious to me. Um, but it is a very special film. I don't, I don't love the ending. I, the last time I've seen it, like that part is always something that kind of drags on a bit. But mm -hmm. other than that, like I'm looking forward to watching it again. That's uh, why it's not my top for Hoven movie. I cracked a joke about feeding off misery in the last entry, and you give me shit for being an ivory tower, and you immediately followed up by throwing your own father under the bus. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't mind doing that. It's my family. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how he doesn't get it. It's so obvious to me. Big dumb idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, like, how do you not? I don't think it, it's already like a Verhoeven movie. Like, what else are you expecting? Oh <laughs> uh, dear. I think uh, it's. I think it's a really smart film, and I think if you do just like dumb action movies and not, and even if you don't understand the satire in it, like you'll probably still enjoy it. It's still a pretty good like science fiction battle movie, and yeah. Michael Ironside's in it. I haven't seen it since the last Point. time, but it, it, it was from a very small window in time in my life where Denise Richards was extremely attractive to me. And it was only a short window. Yeah, it's objectively beautiful. It was like a three or four year window. Well, it's not so much that she got less attractive, it's more just, I don't know, taste that change, or maybe it was like, oh, now she's associated with Charlie Sheen or something. I don't know what happened. But so, along the way, something happened that made her feel very unappealing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe it just I got more of a sense of her personality. I'm not sure what it was, but there was a small window in time between her being in a Bond movie valentine which was a bit after this and starship troopers where she was like the hottest thing on the planet and it was mm -hmm. you know whatever um and I'm, I'm sure whale i never saw whale things but i'm sure I'm, i hear whale things was very sexy um <laughs> but <laughs> well i was Maybe like you guys will watch it on stream one night i mean i, I, I was like ted so i wasn't, wasn't been given whale things to watch um uh, but uh yeah i've not seen this in a long time and I think I was too young to really appreciate it the last time I saw it. So when we do this, which we are doing very soon, because I actually just want to vote, and it's it's sitting there waiting yep. to be done. So it'll I'm so be, excited. It'll be very, very soon, so we'll see how I, I take to it. But uh, I have no attachment to it as of now. So there we go. Mm -hmm. uh, my number 21, uh, so I, I, I had like one of the coldest, most lonely films in the last entry. Um, interesting actually it's interesting that uh, Scarlett Johansson is both in this and her and like you know her sounds kind of lonely and depressing but it's actually quite heartwarming and heartfelt and then under the skin's like just brutally miserable and cold and whatever uh, but yes yeah, so to go from something cold to something a bit more warm and very positive and that is the Iron Giant is I, I don't tend to have a lot of animated movies like high in my list I, I, it's, it's not something I just don't attach to them quite in as much or in the same way for whatever reason uh but the iron giant speaks to my sensibilities in so many ways um and it is the best superman movie that has been made since the first superman movie came out and i mean that with complete sincerity uh it's why since it's why since that came out everyone you know a, a portion of fans have been saying brad bird should direct superman Just don't give it to anyone else this is brad bird's job Stop it. And then they gave it to Zack Snyder and we all wept. But 
is full of love. It is, it is about being the best that you can be. It's about choosing who you can be and that you're not predestined to be what someone else has told you you are. Uh, you are not designed, you are not told that you're going to be this and only this. I mean, you know, last part I had Gattaca as an entry and that was kind of about the same kind of thing. Is the idea that you can only be this, you can't be that. Uh, Iron Giant is that, but it's also got a bit of the misunderstood monster because it's this giant robot and the kids try to like protect him. Evil military wants to get to him and all the rest of it, but it's it's full of uh, your sort of pulpy 50s kind of like visuals and art style and it's it's a wonderful story. I, I, I look forward to doing it on the show and, and discussing it in depth. I have not seen it. I think you'll love it. I'm Probably not. I, I, I'm, I'm making the guess. I'm making the prediction right now. Tara's going to love the Iron Giant. <laughs> It'll be her favorite Finn Diesel movie. Big ask. I mean, it's my favorite Finn Diesel movie. I suppose, if I'm yeah, but you about haven't it. seen the last Witch Hunter. <laughs> I'm feeling confident that it'll still be my favorite Finn Diesel movie if I ever watch the last Witch Hunter. Uh, which luckily I don't think I, be, I don't believe is science fiction, so I don't have to watch it. So sounds like horror to me. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Tim, I've got a lot of other movies to do. It's not high on the list of priorities. I'll just uh, say that. Uh, what is your number twenty? Edge of Tomorrow. What was your number twenty? Live die repeat. I was just trying to make a, a looping joke, but okay. <laughs> well, there are technically two titles for this movie. Oh, Edge yes. of Tomorrow, or Live, Die, Repeat, is uh, my number 20. So it is uh, a movie where you follow Tom Cruise on his journey to becoming... Um, uh, Not a prick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say a hero, but it doesn't really describe who he is in the beginning, which is a coward. <laughs> a yeah. coward who is privileged and has been, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really great um, retelling of the Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day style of filming, of storytelling, where you're watching somebody better themselves. It is very much a video game that you're watching, somebody who's leveling up by screwing up day after day. If you hate Tom Cruise, you get to watch him die a lot. <laughs> um, if you love Tom Cruise, he's excellent in this movie. This might be his fave or his best movie. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's tough I love, competition. I love it when someone misspeaks and they misspeak as if they typed it on a keyboard because you said Groundhog Say. I did? Yeah, you corrected it after you said it, but... Um... Oh. But if, if you were typing it out, you may actually type that by accident because that's indeed an accident. Yeah, but so. I screw up languages all the time. <laughs> well, just the one. Only on camera, though. Uh, uh, it's like I'll never not be nervous <laughs> doing this. <laughs> I do have that effect on people. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, How do I put this nicely? It's not you. <laughs> Very well. Yes, Edge of Tomorrow was very good. Bill Paxton. And, uh, it was, yeah. I mean, this wasn't great before he died, but this was probably the last movie I Pretty really close. saw him in. Yeah. But so, uh, he's very good in it as well. Um, Emily, Emily Blunt's also very good. So, 
Yes. It's a very good love story, although Peter says it's not. That's the that's that's the that's the weakest part of the whole film. But I not for I, me. But it's you know, it's just it's the the days looping over and over again. But it does interesting things with it mechanically because unlike Groundhog Day, there's stuff trying to kill him every day. So mm-hmm. it's like he's actually playing a video game and he's getting better at it every day because he's learning the the routines and the patterns and you know where, where okay, so he died this way this day, so now he knows to avoid there and so it's very mm-hmm. it's like that and it's it's also very funny because after a certain amount of time the deaths start becoming quite funny because there's no weight behind them because we know he's coming back. Right. So. It's, I think it is rated PG-13, even though you do see a man die many, many times. But it's shot in a way where it just becomes yeah, silly. Yeah, <laughs> like I, None of it feels like heavy. I, I don't think uh, someone dying has any bearing on the rating. It's just if it's brutal looking or if it's... Well, there, there there's implied brutality, but you don't really see it. So I think that's how it keeps its rating. Yeah, but I'm sure there's tons of PG-13s where technically dozens if not hundreds of people die and it just doesn't matter because it's you know well that's called the 80s <laughs> um uh, i also don't think it should be a factor if something is PG. i mean hell i'm sure you know, i'm sure you know, i think m- so i mean it's it's a factor in video game ratings like if you have to shoot humans it's always going to be a mature rated game i mean yeah but that's interactive i think i think there's a there's more of an argument there, I think, because you're having to do the act of it. I think if you're watching a PG-13 and, like, a, a bad guy henchman, like, gets thrown off a building or something, and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, and it's even just played for a joke, I don't think in any way, shape, or form that should be something that's like, oh, maybe I should be R-rated because... Well, yeah, I mean, look at the superhero movies where, you know, yeah. cities of people should be dead <clears throat> afterwards, but... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's PG. <laughs> so, there you go. But yes, yes, I was expecting this to appear. Uh, if yes, anything, I, I was. I rated it very high when we reviewed it. Yes, if anything, I was expecting it to be a notch higher. So, uh, I'm not shocked. It's not that. There's a lot of great movies starting now. So, mm, yes. My number twenty is Mad Max Fury Road, uh, which I believe you had already in the first mm-hmm. half. Um, there's one giant race movie. There's a car chase, pretty much from beginning to end. I mean, there is a break of sorts but it's pretty much that all the way through with lots of real stunts and i mean we talked about a lot why it was good before but i'll I'll just add on that there is a lot of real stunt work there's a lot of practical effects there's a lot of actual jumping from vehicle to vehicle and it's kind of a kind of a test in like how to build just an adrenaline fueled movie um where it, it you know it could go very badly and much like the road warrior was imitated i feel like you could have a lot of crappy movies that say oh we're going to do this we're going to have a movie that's all just one big chase and just completely miss why fury road works and miss why it is investing and why you do get caught up in the the characters and what they're doing um yeah uh i mean it always looked good before i saw it but it it was kind of a special experience actually going to the theater and seeing this mm-hmm. um so no uh, yeah, it's a beautiful looking film. The cinematography is amazing. Like, how do you make a desert look that colorful? And I mean, I usually hate blue filter at night, but I don't in this one. <laughs> I actually still do. That's actually the, the worst part of the movie for me is that they have to shoot day for night for that one night scene. I hate it. I think <laughs> I think it just adds to the um, I don't I don't know the nostalgia for movies like this doesn't get just don't get made anymore. You know, it's 
like movies with this this kind of stunt work and this kind of camera work um, it feels like a movie from another time but with today's special effects and yeah it's, i mean i gushed about it a lot already but i'm happy to see you know george miller go back to a franchise that he created and loves and clearly has more stories to tell and i'm excited for another one i haven't watched the black and white version yet uh but i assume the day for night is not as egregious in the black and white version i would assume mm. but uh maybe when we do watch it for the show maybe i'll watch the uh the blood and chrome edition uh i'll actually think it's on my blu-ray I, th I think it's actually like a separate purchase that you have to go get which i don't know which kind of makes it more of like a like really i have to <laughs> i have to pay just to get it in black and white again oh. okay yeah that's just a bit weird but okay um all right what's your number 19. 19 is 2012's dread i adore this film it is speaking of adrenaline rush <laughs> mm -hmm. that is exactly how i would describe this movie as well um it is a very simple premise of a future dystopia where um instead of having court systems we have judge juries and executioners all in one person <laughs> the police and um we are watching him try to take down a gang leader who's at the top of a building and um i love all the future um designs it is kind of mad max in a way um very inspired from that i think and um I even I really like the design of the drug that is like the big thing that they're um, peddling out to people the slow mo drug I think that makes for some really awesome scenes, um, really awesome, like just metal movie, <laughs> super cool. Yeah. Although I am still a little bit pissed to this day that I had to see it in three uh, D. I've never it, seen that in three D yeah. because it was only shown in three D in theaters where I was, unfortunately. Well, you can watch it on your fancy TV and your PlayStation 5 now. So <laughs> you can watch it the way you want to. Um, my PSP doesn't have a disc slot. Oh, that's right. You got the digital one. Yeah. Because I'm good to the planet and, and the environment. Less plastic. I'm so conscious. I would like to have a Blu-ray player. I have Blu-ray players. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't I know, I have one. I'm waiting for my PlayStation 5 to be available to purchase. <laughs> yeah, well, someday. It will happen one day. Um, someday. Um, no, Dread's wonderful. I mean, I already spoke about it, obviously, but it's... Uh, yes. It's, it's gritty and grimy and... Just makes you... Like, go... Grr. Yes. It's that a super way. metal. That's how yes. I describe it. All right, my number 19 is Gravity, uh, Alfonso Cuaron's film from 2013. And this, sometimes it's just a movie on paper that just kind of like speaks to me. Uh, kind of, in a lot of ways, you know, my last entry was Fury Road. That's, that's in a very similar fashion is the entire movie almost in real time is just, you know, astronaut in space up at the space station. Uh, some debris hits everything basically and they are put in a situation where they're, they're just constantly fighting for survival and for a way to get back down to earth and it is 
nothing again but adrenaline it is problem solving it is all these things sandra bullock obviously is the lead here but uh and she's good in the movie i mean it, it, it almost feels mean to say that she's not as important to the movie as a lot of the other things that are going on here which is the direction and the breathtaking kind of effects and the the music is just absolutely like there's, there's moments towards the end where there's some like uh, almost some vocals that come into the score that every time i get to that point in the movie i'm just i just got this big grin in my face because it just sounds so good and it feels mm-hmm. it feels very epic but it's epic for a, like a personal reason i mean because the whole thing's about something the character is going through it is about a character arc it is about her and her life and why she's even in the position she's in to begin with um but it's all it's almost a masterclass in just taking a very simple concept and saying no i'm going to treat this like it deserves to win an oscar and not that it necessarily did i'm sure maybe we've won some technical awards but um karan got oscars for other things he's he's fine he's he's you know he's 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 he'll he'll he's, he's doing fine in the uh the the prestige kind of variety mm-hmm. but this is this is someone who does typically do these prestige dramas and and thrillers and and things and doing more of a I mean it feels weird to call it an action movie but I guess in a, a way it kind of is it's kind of just like an action movie it's a ride yeah I I I left this off both this list and the top of the decade top twenty five of the decade mm-hmm. list as well and I don't know why it's just like it is a, obviously a great movie very simple premise and you are you know white knuckled the entire time you're watching the movie and um i really enjoyed it it just there's something that separates it from maybe because i saw it in imax and it really just just felt like a ride experience (laughs) for me (laughs) that i don't put it in the same category as these uh, other movies um but i mean it's no 1988 the blob (laughs) but i i mean i do agree it's like it's it's excellent like it's definitely i couldn't ask for a better version of this movie um i don't know why it doesn't make my list maybe i just need to see it again yeah and i saw it multiple times in theaters i've seen it at home and it's worked for me every time um i i I think because i because i do hear people say oh it doesn't work in you know without theaters it doesn't work without 3d which but for the record i never saw it in 3d i saw it multiple times in theaters yeah always in 2d I saw it in 3D in IMAX, and it was great. Yeah, uh, but I was never into 3D. It was just—it kind of mostly just annoyed me more than anything else. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was some appeal to it when it first started coming up, like with Avatar. I liked it in the Tron sequel, um, mm. but that's about where it ends. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can count on my fingers how many movies I've seen in 3D, and some of them are just really gimmicky ones that I actually kind of prefer, like. I'm okay with Piranha uh, 3D being 3D because it's a gimmicky, stupid movie where where they're going to have things flying at the screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, <laughs> so today I was streaming. I was I did the Christmas stream just yesterday, and we watched the episode of Gary Busey Pet Judge. And I just I thought of this just now because Gary Busey I'd forgotten this, but he was in Piranha 3 Double D, mm-hmm. which was the sequel to Piranha 3D. Uh, naturally and someone brought it up uh, basically when he was talking about his pet's case uh that he was a fan of piranha 3 but he didn't call it 3 double d he called it 3 dd and i thought that was really weird i just wanted to exclaim that point 
It would say 3DD. I thought, very odd. Anyway. You're gonna edit this part out, right? No, why? How would I edit this out? This is gold! People want to hear about Gary Busey, pet judge! Pet justice! Yeah! He says that a lot. <laughs> some some yeah, prime, go watch it. Delightful. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but yeah, gravity is wonderful. Uh, mm -hmm. I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I'd have predicted that gravity would be the one that has the tangent to Gary Busey, pet judge. I think you've just been, you've been waiting to talk about Gary Busey this whole time. It's, it's the it's the rivers of my. I'm convinced that they, he doesn't know it's scripted. He just shows up and thinks he's an actual judge and starts talking about weird things, and like everyone else is clearly an actor. They're clearly there just to put on a show, and he's sitting there thinking he's actually judging things because he's delusional and deranged. And he would have been good in the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah, he would. He would have been. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your number eighteen? Number 18 is a very personal movie for me. It is Contact from 1997 about an astronomer who gets a signal from outer space and um, it's taken very seriously. It's based from the book written by Carl Sagan. So, you know, the science is good. <laughs> and um, the signal is clearly from an alien race out in the universe we are no longer alone and the consequences of that what that has on um on society on earth and how different factions of society handle the news um and how are we going to talk back to the aliens it's um a really wonderful film i saw it when i was at like the right age where i i don't know we'll talk about when we actually review the the movie more but I mean, I saw it like four times in the theater and I wanted to be Eleanor Arroway so bad. I just, it was hard to find great role models that were female and she was one of them. I love this movie. I saw this like 15 years ago. I remember liking it well enough, but I've not seen it since. So I don't mm -hmm. have the attachment necessarily. Uh, but yes, I look forward to seeing it again and reviewing it uh, when we do. I, I do remember it being very, uh, maybe a little saccharine. It was my, it was my, I think my impression at the time when I saw it. A little bit Hollywood saccharine, but uh, I'll see how, how I fare uh, mm -hmm. on a repeat viewing. But, yeah, because that was Zemeckis, right? Directed that? I believe so, yeah. Before he gave up on real actors and started to worship the uncanny valley of uh, creepy films at Polar Express. Uh, <laughs> Ugh. Yes. Uh, that's been playing on TV a lot too. Yeah, uh, not that bad. Uh, so I don't know how you make Tom Hanks look like a creepy, like pervy weirdo, but he pulled it off somehow. <laughs> He's much scarier in this than Road to Perdition. Uh, yes, I agree. Yes, mm -hmm. and I, I don't dislike Road to Perdition, but yeah, it's a hard time buying Hanks as this intimidating gangster man. <laughs> like, no, you're like cuddly dad man. <laughs> Every time he shouts, I just hear Woody. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> He's like grieving over his family's death. <laughs> All right, my number, uh, my number eighteen is one you had very recently. That is the Truman Show, which uh, you already explained. But um, it, I think this every time I see it because because it is so layered with what it's doing about what it's actually saying about people and about the right to privacy and about 
uh, free will and all that kind of stuff. Like, every time I watch it, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of uplifted with films that try to tackle, like, the individual human being against some sort of type of control. And it this is a bit more nuanced, this one. you Usually, this is not a... a a, a knock against anything that does this but the more common way of this would be something that's a bit more ah the evil corporation and you're fighting from within or something like that that's the more typical way of doing this kind of thing but th this is a bit more uh, just a, 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 a bit more oddly down to earth in, in a mm -hmm. weird way you know because it's, it's very easy to have the the evil corporations and all those things and having the evil mustache twirling villain but this is more, no, oh, it's a TV exec who who believes in the passion of what he's doing, but he never considers... I mean, he's a little evil. I mean, he's a bit evil, but he's he's evil in a more, I don't know, normal way, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of allegory in this film, which we love in science fiction. Um, it, it really talks about, like, just our obsession with voyeurism, with with watching other people's lives. Um, it puts puts a lot of things in perspective, like how much is privacy worth? And these are all very important questions in today's age. Yeah. Uh, the idea, at what point is it not your life anymore? And so, mm -hmm. again, like a lot of fiction does, it takes it and makes it literal. His life is literally not his own. Everything is fake. Everything is not yeah. his. Uh, and that's that sense of discovery. There's some moments in the movie that always make me, like... There's moments I love where there's a, there's a great scene about halfway through where they've been kind of hiding the control booth, like most of the movie. We've just been seeing everything from Truman's perspective. But when it finally shows you this very dramatic scene in his life because they're trying to manipulate him into like convince him to not look into things, and it <laughs> cuts to the control booth and they're saying, like, cut to camera three, and, and it's like, oh, right, cue start, music. Start, cue, yeah, cue the rain, and you know, all, the, all these things, like all, all that stuff. Like, that's actually yeah, really whole interesting. Life is directed. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff from like a like a mythology and technical side. Where you're like, oh, this is actually really fun. I, I almost want. It's almost very uh, uh, cabin in the woods, right? I, I can mm -hmm. almost see like cabin. No, I don't necessarily know if cabin in the woods was remotely inspired by Truman Show, but I can definitely see if if I found out that Whedon, like, well, part of the idea came from Truman Show. I'd be like, oh yeah, I could see that. I could see why that can be inspired that a little bit. Yeah, well, it's also very Twilight Zone. I mean, I think we talked about that a lot. It's like oh, yeah. the most Twilight Zone movie that we had watched in our science fiction show. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's Truman Show. What was your number seventeen? Uh, seventeen is also one that we've done recently. Wally. <laughs> Wally is about um, our future. And uh, humanity is no longer <laughs> taking care of the planet. In fact, it, it, we have trashed it so much that we have abandoned it. So we are on the on Earth, on our trash planet of Earth, from the perspective of Wally, where he gets visited by another robot um, named Eve, who is out searching for plant life. And um, we follow their adventures. It's a a very beautiful movie there's hardly any dialogue especially in the first half of the film there's like no dialogue um it's a celebration of things we love about humanity and the things that we need to quickly change because we also love our planet and we it's the only one we got so yeah i love this film yeah uh, no, mm -hmm. i mean i i think the first half of the film is excellent i, I think the back half's good but the first half is excellent Mm -hmm. uh silent film about a robot who falls in love because he's never really had time to spend with anyone else 
and yes. all of a sudden this glorious apple designed sexy <laughs> robot shows up she's very she's very sleek yes yeah and and while <laughs> you can tell she's new yeah the, the little like junk robot that he is you know he's old he's rusty a lot of hard edges <laughs> He's like, I'm not good enough for her. I mean, it's, it's, it's I do think that art design is really great in, oh, it is. in the characters. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Uh, it's a time old tale of the, the the schlub who gets the hot girl. That's that's what the story is. <laughs> it's another Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Without the captivity. <laughs> no, but it's not. It's, it's heartwarming and, and watching him care for her and her slowly care for him and all the adventures. Some wonderful visuals yeah. uh, in the back half where. I do, I do think the first half is like a masterpiece movie, yes. and the second half is more traditional Disney movie, but I still love it, and I especially love when you do get to see people in the movie, spoiler, and I like what it says about us in the future, too. Yes. So I think it is, the second half is just as important as the first. It's very beautiful. Very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so my number 17 is a James Cameron film. My number seventeen is the abyss, and this 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 is a this is a sore one because every time it comes up, you're going to talk about the Blu-ray, aren't you? Every, every time it comes up, well, even about the Blu-ray. This is the weird thing. We're actually past the point of even needing to be a Blu-ray now. It just needs to have a version that isn't non-anamorphic, standard definition off the laser disc that looks like a just a pixely mess on any TV that's over the size of like twenty inches. It's heartbreaking that i have had to like i've not seen this movie now in probably 15 years not because i don't want to but because it's just not a version that looks good enough to actually watch because Apparently I love there's it. a laser disc out there you like no no the laser disc because the dvd that exists mm-hmm. the, the transfer is taken from the laser disc that's what's, that's what's wrong with it it's the non-anamorphic okay. one from the laser disc they didn't even make a new transfer for the dvd so we're stuck Maybe. with the one that was made in the mid-90s I think but, I had this on VHS. I mean, that'll be worse than Laserdisc because <laughs> VHS, but yes. Um, uh, the Abyss is a film that I watched for the first time. Uh, it was probably the last of like, all of Cameron's films that existed at that point that I'd seen. And it's a story set in an underwater station. Uh, these like, oil drillers or whatever they are down there. You know, Ed Harris. What a surprise. A Cameron movie about underwater things. I know. But this was his first... <laughs> this was his first well, I suppose Piranha 2, the spawning, technically was also underwater. I don't believe his heart was in that one, though. I don't think... It's not like he came in and said, I want to do Piranha 2. He he took that as, you know, a job. But anyway, uh, you know, but, but, you know, they find some, some weird... This is basically a first contact story, essentially, with uh, life forms that are down below. Uh, but there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of great stuff. Uh, one of the more impressive first examples of cgi it's not the very first cg in a film but it's definitely the first cg that's what you think of as cg because you can definitely watch the, there's a water sort of face at one point and you're like yes clearly this led to terminator 2 this this was the effect that led then a couple of years later you to what the t-1000 is um very very good stuff but it's a really great story about humanity and I will say this, I saw the theatrical cut first and really liked the movie for all the tension and for all the adventure sort of parts of it, but seeing the special edition, I couldn't believe what they cut out. It's not like Aliens where they cut out a little bit of back stuff and they cut out a little bit here or there, they added a little bit of depth to things. I think the Aliens one is more is important also though. I mean, they really cut out like all the stuff with Ripley's daughter. Like, she had a daughter? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? 
Leave it's that in with the whole no, Newt storyline. It's important. It is nothing compared to what they cut out of Abyss. The Abyss has stuff that's cut out of the third act, like the, fi- the, the final conflict stuff is actually edited in the theatrical cut to be missing the threat. Mm. It's really weird what was taken out of that movie. Um, it's like, uh, uh, like, once you've seen the special edition, you can never go back to the theatrical cut. It is just not an option. I feel so, the same about Conquest for the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> well, it's not what they cut out. It's what they added in. Yeah, it, just... <laughs> I'll try... <laughs> just trust me i'm serious <laughs> i know you're serious and it's adorable but it, i i <laughs> but it's not the same it really isn't i i i also love the abyss i haven't seen it in a long long time but it was one of those films on the shelf growing up that we watched a lot and i don't know that i've ever seen this special edition i'll wait for the 4k restored version to come out <laughs> it better be coming Cameron yeah. he's finished shooting Avatar 2 and 3 he better be just just sit the, they've done the remaster just sit down and watch it and sign the thing to say that it's okay just let it let it go I am surprised that there isn't a good version out there for a James Cameron movie you think that he would want to celebrate I mean I remember the movie being great yeah Trail Eyes is still not in even HD yet either that is a crime <laughs> Realizing the abyss for whatever reason, just they're still sitting there with whatever the DVD like said. My favorite villain ever, and maybe my favorite Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton's pretty great in that movie. I, I don't deny that's that. That's a tough one, though. I don't deny that. Uh, but uh, I do love the abyss. It's just it's it's just everything. Like I I love the the idea of underwater like suspense and underwater horror and underwater science fiction, and the abyss is kind of like doing all of that in like a, this this perfect little. And it's not even little. It's obviously a very high budget movie. It's a James Cameron underwater movie. Like they, they spent a lot of money on this, um, and it, it wasn't that successful. It was probably one of his least successful films in terms of like commercial success. But uh, and you know even uh, Michael Bean's a villain in it, which is really weird. But he's got a mustache, so you know that he's a villain. You know he's villain is he's from the Mirror Universe because he's got the mustache. Uh, that's how you know. <laughs> he has to have something to twirl. But. Uh, yeah, no, I loved it, but I love it, and I, I I want to watch it again. And they just won't give me one that's actually watchable in twenty twenty. So, uh, please, for the love of all things, give me a decent, high quality version of the Abyss. Okay. Because I mean, we're, we're at the point now where we're on four K now, and it just skipped HD. The HD era was just skipped by the Abyss. Absolutely despicable. Despicable. Yeah state of affairs um i mean think of all the horror movies that you have on blu-ray <laughs> i know i've i've got i've got blu-rays of like all sorts of weird horror movies you've got movies. chopping mall but not <laughs> the abyss <laughs> chopping mall sorority house massacre <laughs> i've got a, a hd version of uh robo war <laughs> yeah robo red war. Brown. robo war <laughs> a predator knockoff starring red brown <laughs> directed by Bruno Matai is on yeah. Blu-ray in high worthy. quality. Yeah. And the, the word, did you say word? They don't shop. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? All right, let's move on. Okay, what's your number eight? sixteen? Another Star Trek, baby. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. So I already talked about this. We spoke but... about the whales already, yes. Uh, the yes. Nuclear I love the whale vessels whale. and all sorts. <laughs> this one, I mean, it's a classic fish out of water, except it's all characters <laughs> that we know. No, you, you meant that. You meant that. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I mean, a whale's not a fish, but it doesn't matter. You meant that. Mammal. <laughs> classic mammal out of water tale. <laughs> but it's all characters that we know and love in a scenario that we know because it's modern times in 1987 or whatever it is, 86, 86. Um, and it's also very much of the save the whales time. <laughs> so it has a great environmental message uh, because a, the whales have broken the sound barrier or something. And <laughs> the aliens have heard their calls, their whale calls, and have come in the future to go rescue them except there are no more whales to communicate to this probe thing that hey uh we're, we're actually okay so they have to go back in time to present day earth 1987 in order to collect whales to bring them into the future to save our planet and it is a blast nothing but a blast it is the silliest premise for a film but it is i don't, I don't know i'm because we love these characters so much they're just written so well in this film that we get to see everybody has their moment to shine. Yes. And it's followed up by the worst original series movie. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, really? Yeah. I mean, we haven't gotten there yet, but... Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Okay. Star Trek V is not on my list, but I will give it an honorable mention because I do love it. And if you love William Shatner... You will love the slice into his brain that you get of his confidence and why he was a legend. Still is, really, but... I like arguably misplaced confidence, if that's the the movie that came out of (laughs) him. Isn't it fun? It's so fun. Final Um, Frontier is so fun. um, I mean, he meets God and he defeats God. Like, it's... Of course he would. He's Shatner. He would write himself to do that. (laughs) <laughs> who do we have to pit against God the Shatner I think he wrote it or directed it maybe both he, did, he, definitely, like, he definitely directed it well he also was writing Star Trek novels at the time so he maybe he had something to do with the writing I like to think that this is his the room <laughs> this is his <laughs> written directed starred produced film yes but because anyway, he was four is be- great because he was attached to Star Trek, they, they gave him the money to actually do it, the madman. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Uh, my number 16 is uh, The Thing. John Carpenter was The Thing uh, from 1981, which we did talk about before, so I won't explain the plot again. But, uh, you know, it, the setting is basically one of the characters in the movie. Uh, it does this wonderful, even the scores just like this boom, boom. Boom, boom. It's all about the build. It's all about the tension. And the practical effects, which the movie is widely known for, hold up so well. Uh, they're so grisly. They're so otherworldly. It really feels like something alien. As opposed to just, oh, it's a human who's been painted a color and maybe given like a slightly bigger head or something like that, like so many aliens in movies tend to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing is not even remotely humanoid. And it's one of the things that we love about Alien as well, is that the Xenomorph does feel completely unique and of its own world and and not just 
ah, a human, but slightly modified, which, you know, you right. know, is a lot of science fiction. And the thing feels that way, too. It, it really does. Uh, and, you know, th- obviously, and the thing, as I'm calling it, that's not its name. We don't know what its name is, because it's just the thing. It's, it's so weird and otherworldly, and so unhuman and unearthly that we don't have a word for it. That's kind of the point. Kind of like the blob. <laughs> kind of like the blob. But it's not blobby, though, so I can't call it the blob. It can be. Uh, I suspect it can be, anyway. Maybe it could be. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's more of like a massive flesh. It's a, it's a lot more Cronenbergian. Uh, now that it was directed mm, by weird. David Cronenberg, as uh, <laughs> as Tara might suspect at times. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, well. Um, but yes. Uh, no, I love it. It's a, it's, a, it's a movie of... Again, it's one of those movies where you feel like a lot of cheap knockoffs are trying to copy it over the years anything's set in like a base they even made a remake that. I didn't watch it <sighs> remake slash prequel mm. yeah don't explain things yeah don't explain things I agree yeah. just take the mystique out of it I don't want to know why the Swedish team who were frozen in place at the start were there mm-hmm. uh, but they did it they exist uh, they're making a new movie they're making a new movie because the original story they found like more of it that was like, yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, it was which was thought lost for a long time, but they found it, and it's like, well, maybe we'll make a new movie now because now we have more story to add to it, and it's like. I mean, if you think there's enough there to make it a unique movie, go for it. Yeah, uh, so we'll see. Uh, I not got my hopes up though. Not got my hopes up though. What is your number fifteen? My number fifteen is 1985's Back to the Future. So this one is about. A young adolescent male and his <laughs> and his scientist friend who's <laughs> Norman. <laughs> I was not I was told not to describe him as a boy and his old man friend. <laughs> no, 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 no. You said that you said that as if I preemptively He's said that. He's in high school. There, okay. There, okay. This is take two of this entry because Tara introduced Back to the Future as it's about a young boy and an old man. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa. His old man friend. I'm just Who not, teaches all, him things about you know life. All I said is that I wouldn't describe Martin McFly as a young boy. I think that, that makes it sound like he's eight. Okay. Okay. Well, it's about a young man who um, accidentally goes back in time and has to quickly course correct because he accidentally interferes with his own existence and um it is a very fun film um i do really love it i it kind of suffers a little bit that i've seen it so much that i'm a little bit bored of it now (laughs) so maybe like if you asked me 10 years ago or 15 years ago it would have been like number two on my list but it has moved down a little bit just because i don't know i'm a little bit burnt out of it (laughs) I don't love the sequels as much as you do, but I do think the first one is, it is a phenomenal film. There's a reason it's a classic and it's got lots of great quotes and great characters and it's a blast to watch. You're just too darn loud. I'm not telling you too loud. That's a quote from the movie. I'm just yeah, I've seen the movie. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I, I had, I had the vision there of you like reaching out and like lowering your mic volume. Like, no, 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 you're so fat, you're so fat. <laughs> Uh, no. I mean, Back to the Future is basically perfect. More on that later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> my number 15 to go with something different which i know is not in tara's list because she's not seen it uh is stalker uh this is the uh, but you did have annihilation which interestingly takes a lot from stalker and is very heavily inspired by stalker and so i'll probably very much like the film and i i felt bad for annihilation when i saw it because i liked it but i think it suffered a little bit because, because i had just seen stalker for the first time like maybe six months before i saw it it wasn't like a long gap it, like it was stalker was very fresh in my mind and stalker is about uh well it's, it's, it's a russian film right so it's set in russia obviously but it's a russian film where much like annihilation something has landed no one knows what it is but they've, they've quarantined off this area and it's referred to as the zone and a stalker in the context of this movie in the world is someone who sneaks people into the zone they're not allowed to go in they're not supposed to be able to go in because it's all guarded by military and all that but they sneak in uh, because people want to get to the center because they believe that at the center of the zone there is a room where you can ask for anything you want and you will get it um sounds like it's um about the american dream <laughs> actually no it's really uh me and connor actually talked about this movie when we both saw it for the first time uh it went really in depth on it is there's a lot of basically the the whole quarantine thing is very much about the idea of like uh you know, things like chernobyl and stuff like that which hadn't happened yet but there was other incidents or radiation leaks and it was like rather than admit that there's you know we've made a mistake that the soviet union has made a mistake and something's went wrong we'll just have a you know aura of mystery and we'll have guards and because apparently there's a lot of you know imagery that's very similar like mm. the idea of like guarding a town that they're not allowed to go into things like that but uh it's a movie it's all about the ideas you you very really see anything in it it plays with its visual style it's it's got a very wizard of Oz-esque idea where it starts off looking one way but once they get into the zone it switches and looks different um you have very like all the rules about how to travel in the zone are very weird like it's just like it's all it sounds like the ravens of a madman almost like we can't do this and we can't do that we have to follow this path and there's nothing there they're constantly talking about the threats that are around them, but they d- it never looks like there's anything there. But it's so massively written and directed and performed that you buy into these ideas that maybe it's there. And maybe, you know, it's, it's a very layered film. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of depth you can go into about what it's really talking about and what it means. Um, it's a very long film, uh, but it really had an impact on me. Uh, I definitely felt like I'd, I felt like I'd watched something that was really special and profound when I when I finished it. Uh, so as as good as Annihilation is, it just couldn't live up to Stalker when I had just is seen that for the first time. Is there a bear scene in it, though? There's no bear scene, though. There's, there's less fancy visual effects and visual flair uh, in mm. Stalker. It's a, bit more, a lot more grounded in that sense. Uh, yep. I think it's okay for movies to be inspired by other films. Oh, it is. It's just unfortunate that I just happened to have seen this like, right before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I highly recommend it if, you're, if, you know, if you like foreign films, if you like uh, classic very very influential films not just because of annihilation but because it's influenced so much uh in terms of like thought process and because it's you know the the characters are three men it's a stalker and two other guys and it's all about them their beliefs they all represent different things and there's so much conversation to be had so i i yeah it's a special film and it's just you know it's one that i look forward to doing at some point on this show um once time has passed and it's ready to dive in uh, obviously, we have to do Solaris, which is the same director, but 
it's uh it's, it's special and it, it rose very quickly like usually you know there's certain ratings that i'll be like ah you know i need to see it a second time or let me <laughs> it's but too I, fresh but i remember coming out of that going i feel pretty confident where i'm sitting with this like immediately it just feels special so stalker what was your number cool. 14 number 14 it's 1971's a clockwork orange ah. uh, stanley kubrick can't really go wrong there um it is a about a man who has been um i would say I, it, there's a little bit of nature versus nurture and the world that he lives in he is excelling in it um i think it's uh and it's uh but he's horrible <laughs> because the world is awful um it's very much a story about uh his his forced character growth and whether or not that really happens through society trying to rehabilitate his terrible behavior um and the 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 methods that are used for that and um yeah I don't really want to explain too much more. I think you, I mean, you already <laughs> talked about it earlier. So. <laughs> it's one of, it's one of my favorite performances ever in film um, is um, Malcolm McDowell as our lead character. And um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it says a lot about society and um, I think it's a beautiful, beautifully shot film. Um, it's hard to go wrong with Kubrick though, right? Yeah. The man had an eye. <laughs> yeah, this is a movie about like a monster that society created, that the system kind mm -hmm. of created. And he is awful. He is like so depraved and he's the worst of the worst. He's disgustingly awful. But ultimately, the story is about how it might be the world's fault that, he, that, that mm -hmm. they, it produced something like this. And ultimately, trying to fix it is putting a band aid over like a, a mistake that was already kind of there. And yeah, and aren't people just being as awful or more awful to him in order to rehabilitate him yes yeah it's very satirical it's very you know it, it mm -hmm. definitely i've never really put clockwork orange next to something like starship troopers but clearly if you're, if you're lining up the satirical sci-fi movies like clockwork orange is near the top of the list if not at the top of the list yeah so there you go uh my number 14 uh, one that I very much suspect Tara is going to have later is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah, but we're getting really high up here. This is fourteen. We're we're getting yeah. Up to I'm that surprised. Game. I thought that would break the top ten for you. Uh, I, I, you know these things fluctuate a little bit. Um, Dawn, you know, R Rise was such a surprise when it mm -hmm. came out. I won't get into it because we're going to review it soon, and I've explained this before. But Rise was such a, a surprise when it came out. Dawn took everything that was surprisingly excellent about that first film and instead of just trying to sequelize it in ways that feel like a sequel, it then said, okay, what's the story we tell now that we're in this new status quo? And it was the movie that made me go, oh wait, I think Matthew Reeves might actually be a really important director to watch mm -hmm. going forward. And despite the fact that I don't really need more Batman movies right now, because he's making the new Batman movie, I'm like, we well, you know what, it'll be great, so maybe I'm not going to be complaining. But it's a film about a world where apes have started to grow. Uh, they are teaching 
young younger apes like there's a school system almost they've got like a little village they're, they're starting to really evolve caesar's leading them into like a smarter lifestyle mm-hmm. and the the remaining humans in the world is now post-apocalyptic who are nearby in the city try to sort of essentially form an alliance and you have caesar and you have uh uh Koba. no what's the human isaac clark them jason clark jason clark thank you the one who this film convinced me he's good and everything he's been in ever since has been terrible i know get a better agent <laughs> but you know and they're trying to essentially establish a shared society between the apes and the humans but it's this tragedy story of the people on either side of this this conflict or this or the two different camps who ultimately are going to let their prejudice break the whole thing down and I won't say any more than that, but it is absolutely heartbreaking. It, you feel hope at points. You're crushed at others. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lot to say about human nature. And the way that people think they get in the way of peace and why we don't have peace and why we can't have peace sometimes. And it's not because of an absolute where we can't have peace. We can't have peace because people will not let us have peace. People are the problem. And in this case, it's not. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying the humans here are specifically bad. The apes, those apes that are just as bad. The, the point is, is that anything Human that's intelligent, fuck. yes. Uh, so, yes, uh, it's wonderful. It's got so much to say, but I'll I'll leave it there because Tara's going to have more to say later. Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, don't have the planet of the apes. Um, it's it's like I feel like sometimes you kind of like leverage older films a bit more, and it feels like oh, there's not as many great movies as there used to be. But then every so often, someone like Donald came out and remains like, nah, it's still possible. They can, yeah. they can still knock it out of the park when the, the time is right. Yeah. Um, and the stars align. But what is your number 13? 13 is The Matrix. 1999's <laughs> The Matrix. A powerhouse science fiction film that really changed action movies forever after that. Um, I think The Matrix is just quintessential science fiction like why why we love it so much it's your whole reality is wrong (laughs) just waking up one day and realize having this enlightenment that totally changes your worldview and that can be applied to anything like i often hear people talk about like taking the red pill and all of a sudden like they see things the way they really are now they see the code you know it's um it was just a a perfect movie it came out at the right time um and the action is like exceptional it is very good if you just like action movies you'll love the matrix but if you like really thought-provoking sci-fi like it's it has everything um and uh pretty pretty great characters for the most part i think they could have done a little bit more with trinity's character um she's sort of just there for for neo but it's still, I mean, she still gets her badass moments, at least. Um, I think the Wachowskis just did, uh, they made their masterpiece. And unfortunately, the sequels can often will make the first, the whole trilogy look bad. But really on its own, the first Matrix is a truly exceptional science fiction film. Yeah, the end, I mean, I would love to say what it is, but the ending works as just an ending. You can just leave it there. It really there, does, yeah. But just, you know, don't think about it. Which will be it's actually be more annoying if the fourth one's good because then it's like well now we have to watch them all yeah now <laughs> two and three have to be included 
I mean, two has some pretty good parts in it. I I do like the uh, the highway chase scene. I think it's also very very good. Um, but oh yeah, but it's it's good action moments versus the entire film is sort of groundbreaking and how it's making you think and it's challenging yeah. your ideas and it's good science fiction versus oh, there's a couple of good action scenes. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's not the same. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're, they're just trying to build up on the mythology of the world that they've already created with the first one and it's not as there, there's never going to be anything as groundbreaking yeah unfortunately uh, yeah two or three don't really feel that they're about as much it feels like more they just want to make big blockbusters rather than yeah in that yeah, so. freaking architect scene I hate that scene so much <laughs> uh, it always makes me think of KFC yeah it looks like the colonel. It looks like the colonel. It looks like the KFCs running the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Would you agree, Neo, that this, this simulation has been finger-licking good? Um, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Matrix is wonderful. Uh, and we'll be reviewing it relatively soon, because the fourth one is coming. So, whoop, whoop. Uh, I look forward to that. Uh, Alright, uh, my number 13, so yeah, it's nothing but biggies at this point, because my number 13 is one Jurassic Park. Uh, this was the first movie I ever saw in the theatre. I was four years old. I liked my dinosaurs at that age, I have to admit. And, you know, watched a lot of Land Before Time as a kid. But Jurassic Park... The spectacle has never quite waned. It holds up surprisingly well. And yeah, the CG's aged a bit, and you can sort of tell, but... Uh, it, it, because it's mixed with a lot of practical effects, there's still a lot of prosthetic heads, there's a lot of other moments. Stan Winston, again, that name pops up a lot in these big movies from the 80s and 90s. Uh, it, it holds up remarkably well, but it's, you know, it's, it's a couple of scientists and a quote-unquote rock star and Jeff Goldblum are invited to an island by... Uh, you know, Hammond, the billionaire, the filthy rich billionaire, uh, to basically sign off and say this park is safe. And why are these scientists been invited? Because they study dinosaurs. Uh, and of course things go wrong. Everything breaks down. Although, because of humans. Newman. <laughs> it was all Newman. <laughs> Who but, really deserves to inherit the earth? <laughs> woman. Uh, well, course. obviously. Yeah. Yes. Women and women dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> women dinosaurs. <laughs> Which they all are. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, you know, went through the park and lifted, lifted up all the skirts, made sure. But yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it, you know, it's, it's adventurous. It's running from T-Rexes. It's it full of iconic scenes. I will admit, this, out of all the big movies from my childhood that, you know, I've still watched to this day and I've seen numerous times, uh, this is the one where I've maybe noticed the most mistakes and the most weird inconsistencies uh, the more I've watched it. And it's not oh, a big yeah, deal. It's not a big deal. Like, it doesn't affect the movie. But there are, We forgive like, it because T-Rex. Because T-Rex. Because it's just a, a great adventure with a good cast. <laughs> Sam Neill, uh, Goldblum. The comedy really works. Yeah. Uh, the villain is just so hateful. It's so easy to hate him. Yeah. Plus he's Newman. Plus he's Newman. And of course, you know, Universal spared no expense uh, on the film. So <laughs> it feels big. It feels epic. John Williams' score. I think Superman's my favorite John Williams score, but Jurassic Park is right behind it. Jurassic yeah. Park is right behind it. I was fortunate enough to go see uh, John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And 
I wasn't exactly sure which what John Williams score was my favorite until the Superman one came on, and then I went, oh, this one's my favorite. See, the, the sad part <laughs> is, is I essentially did the same thing, but because uh, of where I am, John Williams himself did not conduct it. It was, you know, like a lackey. It was like his second in command. <laughs> hey, I had to fly here in order to, to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I happen to live here now, but it was. It was funny actually. I I just watched Witches of Eastwick like last week, and mm-hmm. the one thing I knew about that movie because John Williams did the score, and that was one of the pieces that was played at the concert. Is the guy conducting was the like music advisor because Jack Nicholson was supposed to like play piano and a couple of instruments, and the guy that was conducting the concert, the John Williams concert that I went to a few years ago, it's his hands playing the piano when each Witches of Eastwick when uh jack nicholson's playing because jack nicholson's like why why do i need to learn just do a close-up of his hands he's got hands all over mine go uh so it's his hands uh because that, that, that was a bit of trivia told between pieces very cool yeah well I, well it's funny because he had to give context for that movie because he knew that almost none of the audience would have known or cared about it <laughs> like we all know about superman and star wars but when we get to which is a beast week it's like uh you know yeah it's true i mean i like that movie it has been a long time i don't think i knew before now that it was john williams <laughs> yeah uh so but no that no, Jurassic park is is wonderful and i suspect yeah. that it's not the last time we'll be talking about it on this list so i will nope. move on uh to your number 12 